One of my mentors was uh, Tom, or is Tom Albright. Uh, some of you may not know may know Dr. Albright. He has been here and uh, has spoken before uh, in this assembly. He probably had more impact on me than uh, just about anybody, and in fact has had a huge impact on a lot of ministers. I think of my generation. Uh, his brother Glenn and his brother Owen have been preachers and missionaries in churches of Christ. And so out of their three boys, all three ended up in some form of mission of uh, ministry. Tom grew up in Missouri. And his mother was a believer, but his father was not. And in fact, his father refused to allow the Bible to be read in their home. And so whenever the father was around, whenever Tom Albright's dad was there, uh, nobody could read the Bible. But if the father was out of the house, especially in the evening, then the mother, Tom's mother, would pull the Bible out and would read to her sons the Bible. And he recalls, I've heard him do this publicly and, and read it in a book that he's written, recalls how the boys would be standing in the kitchen doing the dishes, and while they're doing the dishes, the mother would read the Bible, or maybe she would give the Bible to one of the other boys, and two boys would do the dishes, and one would read the Bible. Well, I, I tell you that story because there are some of you here who are either single mothers or you are spouses who don't have a Christian mate and yet you have children. And you have, in fact, a responsibility. I know you feel this responsibility to help raise your children in the Lord. And I wanted to tell you that there are great reasons for you to be hopeful about that situation. If Tom Albright's mother can read the Bible only when her husband is out of the house and her three sons can end up where they have in ministry, then there's hope for you as well. I also wanted to tell you that story because uh, I'm kind of going in a different direction in one sense this morning. And hence, if you want to turn this on, is it on now? There we go. Except I want to go there. God's presence in our world is from the beginning linked to his presence in the nuclear family, ideally where both parents trust the Lord. I say that because we're looking at family this fall and talking about the responsibility, especially that parents have, for being Christians in their own home. I know there are an awful lot of you who sense that responsibility. And it's important. It's extremely important. In fact, as I said here, I think that God's presence is directly linked to the presence of God in our families. Last week I read this passage. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. And Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And that tells me that right at the heart of what it means to be family, it means to be a godly person. God is the one who's responsible for families. God has created families. God has placed us in families. And we are to be people who allow God to be fully in our families. In fact, being a family... And having God at the center of it is exactly what it means to be a human being. 
If Adam and Eve from the beginning are created in the image of God and then have children with the help of the Lord, then for us to be families, and in fact God-centered families, is exactly where God wants us to be. Is it any wonder that the Jewish people were so family-oriented? Like it's almost proverbial, isn't it? To talk about Jewish people and their families, Jewish mothers and their sons, and the way that they think of them. Scores of genealogies are listed in the Bible. You can just turn from Genesis chapter 5 on through the rest of the book and you're going to find genealogy after genealogy after genealogy with long lists of the history of families within Judaism. Why is that? Is there anything more tedious than turning to the King James Version of the Bible and reading that so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so? 4,000... 780 times the words father or mother or son or daughter are used in the Bible. 4,780 times. 289 times the word family or household is used in the Bible. And the fact is that aside from the prophets, the families of the great servants of God are always discussed and mentioned, usually within those genealogies. When God chose his people, he chose to do through family connections, what he wanted to do in our world. And when he chose to give us a Messiah, in two of the Gospels, he lists the generations and the lineage of our Messiah. And so God's presence in our world is directly related to his presence in families. A second major point here. Scripture teaches that family is the basic unit for passing on faith in God. So look at these passages. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. And so not only is God right at the center of what it means to be family, but he expects this to be passed on. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to obey your children. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that, you, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And then Psalm 145, verse 4. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. And so it's a basic teaching within the Bible that the family is the basic foundational unit for passing on our faith. Last week, there was a young man and his wife who stood up here. He became our new youth minister. 
His name was Roberts. It could have been Peterson. Or it could have been Alfred. Or it could have been Lidbury. Or it could have been Bailey or Orr. It could have been Jacobs or Ashby. It could have been McMillan. It could have been Mooney. It could have been Mann. We actually have a man with us this morning in the person of Norma who's come and visit us this morning. Or she's almost a man. She's a smith and the smiths have a heritage too. Many of you are related to these families. Some of you come from these families. And that's because God ordained it that your family would pass on the legacy of faith, the heritage of faith. And the faith was indeed passed on. It reminds me of the story of the little girl whose mom was sick one day and she decided that she would be like her mommy and go in and make her mom some tea so her mom's lying in bed by her watching TV or whatever she is because she's sick and her daughter comes in with the tea. And the mom says, I didn't know you could make tea. And the daughter says, well, mom, I've watched you. I know how to do it because you know how to make tea. And so I know how to make tea. And so just like you, mommy, I boiled the water. And just like you, I put some tea leaves in a strainer and I, and I put the tea inside the water and I boiled that and, and I made tea. But I didn't have a strainer and so I used a fly swatter. <laughs> and the mom said, oh no, you didn't use the fly swatter. And she said, that's okay, mom, I didn't use the new fly swatter, I used the old one. <laughs> and so we, we have things that are passed down from mother to child. Early in this century... Uh, J.C. Bailey, many of you know that name. Some of you no doubt in this room are related to J.C. Bailey. He was making a trip through Montana. This was in the 1920s. Came upon a family named Guild, and he taught Mrs. Guild the gospel. From Mrs. Guild came a child named Claude. And Claude heard from his mother the gospel. Claude Guild married Sammy and they passed down to their children the gospel and so Diesta Guild became a Christian. And from a marriage to Stuart Love, Diesta had children and out of that came Mark Love. And Mark Love has stood in this pulpit and has preached to you as well. And so J.C. Bailey in the 20s teaches a faith to Mrs. Guild and she passes it on to Claude who passes it on to Diesta who passes it on to Mark and now Mark's son, Josh, is learning the faith as well and, and is a dabbling Christian. Faith was intended to be passed down and it is. And we're recipients of the wonderfulness of having pa- faith passed down in family units. Well, because family units receive Christ, it's my impression that there's hope for our society. In fact, I would say that faith being passed down in family units is the only hope for our society. And that's one of the reasons that it's so crucial that we take this seriously. In the last couple of weeks, one of the themes that's been occurring in the Calgary paper and really in Calgary society has been the crime. It's been violence. And in fact, there's been an awful lot of violence in our area recently, hasn't there? Have you noticed this? 
And so it was about a month ago that there was a murder just across 52nd over here at 52nd in the Trans-Canada. And then within just a few days, there was another murder just six blocks or so away from here, right in the Marlboro area. And then, of course, there was a murder that took place in Chestermere this last week. There was another murder that in the meantime, a couple of weeks ago, it occurred out in the northwest. This fellow was shot accidentally downtown and blinded the other day. Like it's just one thing after another that's been happening. And we look at that and we say, what is it that's going to change our society? How is the world going to be different? I thought about this this week. I was thinking, what is it that we as a church need to do? And how is it that society really is going to turn itself around? How can it be different? And the answer is that society won't turn itself around. Like the government programs that are instituted, the social actions that occur, the uh, increase in our ability to incarcerate, the bottom line is that none of those things are really going to do the job. I was listening to the radio this week on 770. They were t- having a debate about all this violence in, in Calgary. And, th- and they turned to the penal system. How is it that we can fix this? You know, do we need to build bigger jails? Somebody would call and say, no, we need, we need judges who are going to make sure that the laws are enforced. And we really do need to hire all those police officers that they keep talking about. But the fact is, you can do all of that and nothing is really going to change, I don't think. So we build bigger jails to house all the criminals because our society was sick. And what are we going to do to fix that society? I'm absolutely convinced that the place where society is going to be fixed is in our homes. And we have to start there. We have to be people who have homes that represent something other than what society typically sees. And so we need to make some changes, specifically having an impact on our community with respect to family. What's really needed is for faithful parents to teach their children about the teachings of Jesus Christ. What's really needed is for strong character to be developed in Christian homes. What's really needed is for nuclear families to remain together, teaching their children to live in a way so as to be responsible citizens. We need to teach them to love God with their hearts, their souls, their mind, and their strength. We need to reach into our community and help families of all kinds to be the kinds of families that will create a better society. And the fact is, there is no other solution. Lasting, productive social change is only going to take about place, it's only going to come about at the family level. And that's why I'm so proud of our families. You know, the fact is that we have numerous young families that are making the commitment to do all they can to train their children in the Lord. And let me tell you, it's the best decision that you will ever make. David Bailey came up to me on Tuesday at the end of the prayer session. And he said, you know, this was great. But one of the best things was that that we had a bunch of young men who got up tonight and wanted to pray on behalf of Drew. And we had a young man like Colin Hattrick who said, we need to pray, folks, for our friends, the Clarks. 
And the whole evening really was run by, orchestrated by, younger guys, and no doubt their wives, who were interested in doing something for Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you how encouraging it is for me, not just as a minister of a church, but as somebody who is almost 50. Thought I was older, didn't you? <laughs> who sees in young families that kind of desire to serve the Lord. It's not just commendable. It's just not a, a good thing. It is the necessary thing. It's the only thing that our, the lives of our children and grandchildren have to bank on. And the fact is, is that society is at stake. They need our families to be faithful if there's going to be any hope for them at all. Sometime in the future, several generations from now, someone named Clark or Gordon or Carter or Coughlin, or Ruiz, is going to teach their children about Christ. I'm talking about generations now in the future. Now they're going to look back, and they're going to say, well, Kevin and Patty had their faith first. Or John and Carla had their faith first. Or Kelly and Robin had their faith first. Or John and Brenda had their faith first. Or Juan and Aliadrina, they had their first faith first. It started with them. I mentioned those families because in each one of those cases, it's like a first generation of those who've come to the churches of Christ and begun to serve Christ in this place. And then they'll be named Mooney or Asen or Bailey or Holmgren or Ashby. And then those kids will see that their Christian heritage is continuous, a line going back, maybe further than they can even count. And then there's going to be Pinedas and Amontes and Magiocs and Almerals and Borges and Tuts. And they're going to look and say, you know, when my ancestors came to Canada as immigrants back in the 90s or in 2000, they were serving Christ. And they built a legacy of faith. And we have the responsibility of building a legacy of faith. The story was that Joshua and his people had conquered the southern kingdoms. They were conquering the northern kingdoms. But it was time for Joshua to die. And in Joshua 23, 1 and 2, it says, After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well-advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers serve beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What happens in our society is so much based on who will now stand and say, we will serve the Lord. And so the question for the morning is, where will you stand? Will Christ be so much the center of your home that the generations that come after you will have every opportunity to live lives 
of faithfulness. We have so many people here who've made this decision. It is the most decision that you as a family can possibly make. I want to exhort you to make that choice. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I commend you to make the same decision. All rests there. Let's pray. Oh God, you have blessed us with the privilege of being your children. There's so many here, Father, who've made this choice to stand for you no matter what. We recognize, God, it's the only hope we have. It's the only hope for our children, our grandchildren, those who come after. So help us, God, to stand there with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all our strengths. Help us to love you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.